Welcome to Monk's Tape. Hello, everyone. This is Corey McCarthy, joined by Megan Dunlap and our esteemed producer, Dominic McGuire. Today, we will have our second installment of the Origin series here on the Monk's Take podcast in the Monk's Cast studio. It's a mouthful. Today, we have Jared Felker, the head men's and women's swim coach here at St. Joseph's College. Jared, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Good to be here. I love that intro. It's so metal. It is metal. Yes. I like it. It gets yeah. me amped. I am amped. I want to swim right now, and I never want to swim. <laughs> that I'd like to see. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> so, uh, Jared, we'll just start off our, our origin series with a, just a general basic question. Uh, when did you get your start as an athlete? Um, you can go all the way back to, you know, if your dad dropped you out of a boat when you were two <laughs> and you swam and didn't sink. Um, well, I think both my parents are teachers. Both were coaches. Um and athletes themselves. So with an older brother and older sister, um, I think you get dragged to a lot of sporting events. And I thought, at least with swimming, um, it was just to get me not to run around and get into trouble. Um, so I'd go to watch them swim practice and usually sneak off and, and get into some mischief. And I think my parents were like, let's just get them started. So I, I started swim team when I was five, um, started competing um, probably five or six. Um, I took to it pretty quick. We grew up on an island, so I think learning how to swim was, you know, right from age one, we were in the water, so. Mm. Um, but that's with all sports. I mean, I was a runner, not very good. Um, my dad was a cross-country and track coach, um, so I played soccer, I ran, played lacrosse, um, played a little bit of basketball, but not so good at that. I think <laughs> There's so a reason why I stayed in the water. <laughs> Well, it seems like it worked out pretty well for you. Uh, so where, where did you swim? Like, where did you start? Like, um, I grew up in Yarmouth, Maine. So I think the first team I was on was the Portland YMCA. And then I kind of bounced around to a bunch of the teams in the area. Um, just um, we went to Cumberland, the Seacoast Swimming uh, Club. And then I finished my career in Maine um, with the Portland Porpoise Swim Club with a small stint at uh, Westbrook Seal. So I kind of did every team in the Portland area. Um, and that usually had to do with practice times. Um, when you have working parents, it usually, um, mm. means you, you kind of go where you, you can get your kid there. So, um, we did a lot of that and then kind of right around age 14, I was starting to kind of approach a national level. Um, and my coach at the time left to, um, coach at, uh, Washington, Washington university, um, and so he was a pretty influential coach, um, pretty um, uh, controversial. He was a pretty in-your-face. Mm. And you were 14. 14. <laughs> uh, that started at 12, though. I mean, he, I was training probably with high school kids at 12, um, which is a good and bad thing, I think, um, to get kids that young. I think as a coach, I later realized that that, that wasn't necessarily good to have a 12-year-old training with 16, 17, 18-year-olds, but that's where I was physically – um, and when he left, uh, I kind of just asked, asked my parents. I had a friend that had gone away to a prep school um, in preparation for the U.S. Naval Academy, and she was a swimmer. And I said, you know, what, what would the possibility of me, like, leaving home and training um, at a swim school, mm. um, school known for swimming? And, you know, my parents, being educators, kind of saw the writing on the wall, um, thought that it could be a good opportunity and um, 
and uh, they decided that you know they could do it financially as long as it it made sense. So my dad retired from teaching and he used that money to send me away to to school for two years. So um, I got really lucky there, and there I kind of became a national level swimmer. Um, place called Mercersburg Academy. Uh, so it's pretty renowned in the United States, at least on the East Coast, for high standard of academics and um, athletics. So it was the first time I got to a school that put swimming over like football. So we have like more fans in our stands and like say the football team. Um, and that was really cool, you know, to be treated um, like a king for a little yeah. bit. You know, it doesn't happen yeah. with swimming a lot, you know, and I accept that. But uh, there it was really special and it really pushed me to want to go compete at the highest level that I could. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my draw there. Where um, is that school located? It's in Pennsylvania. Um, it's closer to Hagerstown, Maryland. It's right near the border, but um, not too far, probably an hour and a half from D.C. Okay. So it's kind of in that you know, mid-Atlantic range. Um, what was that like for you being away from home? It had to be kind of a culture shock. Yeah, I loved it. You know, I, <laughs> you know my brother and sister are so much older that I was kind of – they left home and I knew about like the college experience very young because they left. And, and I think I was ready. I was a little bit older. i had stayed back in kindergarten. <laughs> um, I colored outside the lines. My parents said I was just too interested in playing. So I was a little <laughs> older. I was already 17 going to be a, a junior. So um, I was ready to leave um, and I loved it. And I met a lot of athletes from <clears throat> situations like, like mine that, um, weren't necessarily well off financially that were there to do one thing. And so it was a super focused, motivated group of athletes, not just swimmers. And um, it was hard academically. Like it really prepared me for the amount of work that was in college. Um, but athletically and, and um, academically, it kind of pushed me to a new level of school that I was looking at. Um, I broke my wrist end of my junior year, <clears throat> didn't realize it was broken, so I swam my senior year with it broken, a small bone. Um, so I had pretty good results, um, but I thought I could have been faster. Mm -hmm. um, but I came out, I was probably the I don't know, seventh or eighth fastest 100 flyer in the, in the U.S. at that time for graduating wow. seniors. So um, got recruited by a few schools. Um, I did all my own recruiting. You know, there was no phone calls that – you know, opening day of recruiting for me. I was a good swimmer, but I probably wasn't on the radar of like a top 15 school. Mm -hmm. And um, got lucky that a couple schools needed a flyer and a sprint freestyler and um, went on a few recruiting trips to Penn State and University of Virginia. And um, it kind of came down to those two. And um, for me, like Virginia was just uh, the most beautiful place I'd been. And uh, the brand new pool. I mean, I really felt like I was like, oh, I'm, you know, this is like what it's like to be a professional athlete, you know. Right, right. For at least for a swimmer, you know, at the time there was no professional swimming. So getting to a, a big college program, that's what it felt like, you know. What were the recruiting visits like at those schools? <clears throat> um, well, what stories I can share, um, <laughs> you know, and I, and I say that kind of in jest, but like those recruiting trips were like, um, uh, at least for the swim team um, at Virginia, it was we were making a push to become a new, a different team. So we had been kind of in that top 25, but never broke the top 10. And I think um, starting the, probably the year before I got there, they made a push to make these, you know, try to reel in big name recruits. Um, 
And so these recruiting trips were like, we'd play paintball, we'd um, go to a party, you know, you'd see everything, everything was like kind of done for you. And it was a really good opportunity um, to kind of have fun, um, but also get to know all those people. You know, you'd, you'd go there for two days um, and, uh, you know, flights were paid for and bus was paid for. I mean, it was a really, um, a really fun um, opportunities to like go visit places, not with your parents, you know, <laughs> and get a good idea of what it's like there, um, you know, as an athlete and as a student and as a, in a, with a social life too. So you probably headed to Virginia right at the right time for a program on the rise with a new facility. Absolutely. All those things. And, um, you know, I really, re- the coach there, a man named Mark Bernardino, and he's a legendary coach at this point. And, you know, at one point he led um, at least the ACC in, in dual meet wins and probably pretty close for the NCAA. But um, he was just an absolute, uh, can I say hard ass? Are we allowed to, can, I, can sure. you beep that out? He, but that's what he was. And that's, um, he was an in your face, really honest um, I'm going to tell you when you screw up and I'm going to make you feel awesome when you succeed. Um, he was huge on personal accountability and, um, you know, he just, just drove you hard. And I, that's the coach I liked, you know, I, I didn't want someone to coddle me. I wanted someone to really drive me to be better because, you know, I wasn't the best going in there. You know, I was probably, you know, third or fourth guy in all my events. So, <clears throat> for me to, um, and especially coming out of high school with a broken wrist, I, I kind of showed up with a little bit of um, apprehension that I was going to be able to do it, you know, because I got in first day and I saw these guys that were All-Americans and these women that were All-Americans that were just absolutely beating me by just insane amounts. Like I couldn't even fathom what they were doing. Um, <laughs> like, and I trained hard, you know, I, I trained with some awesome coaches and done some really cool things up until that point, but that was like a, a real shock <clears throat> in a spot that like it made me want to be put in every single ounce of effort. Like it didn't scare me. It just was an eye opener. Like, Oh crap. I, you know, I can't, uh, I got to go to bed at, you know, seven, eight, 7 PM on a, a Friday for a three hour practice on Saturday morning, because if I didn't, you know, I was going to be the worst one in the pool and, and I could not be that. You know, no. that was that was my attitude going in. Was there anything, uh, you know, being the kid from Maine? Like, <laughs> was that a thing? Well, yeah, I was a Yankee, right? Yeah. Not a New York Yankee, just a Yankee, a kid from the north. Um, so that was a little bit of a culture shock. Um, I would say, you know, um, they didn't get a lot of kids from Maine there, and definitely not swimmers. Mm. Um, you know, so I think there was a little bit of intrigue. You know, at one point um, – our coach had a bet with a couple of the athletes to set a record and win a conference title in, in the 800 free relay. And they did. And we were staying at a hotel with a red lobster and the deal was they got a lobster dinner, but no one had to, knew how to eat lobsters. So I wasn't on the relay, but I still got to go to the dinner because uh, I was the only one that knew how to crack open lobsters. So that worked um, out. I said they could all have the claws and save the tails for me. They didn't, they didn't want those. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk about, uh, how your career progressed at Virginia and, you know, how you first were, you know, you saw your times, they weren't 
at the level of, and probably to be expected at the level of seasoned, you know, all Americans and, and individuals like sure. that that were at the school at the time. But how did you progress? What kind of mark did you leave at the on the program and those kinds of things? Yeah, um, I you know I really was happy with my career um, at Virginia. I you know I had battled through a little adversity with my wrist coming in as a freshman. You know I think I I come out of surgery and I, I had gotten my cast off two weeks before showing up. Um, and that was a little bit of a shock mm. to my coach. Um, and it oh, was, he didn't know? He knew that I had heard it. And he had, uh, you know, I told him once I had got surgery. Um, but that was, you know, maybe a month, maybe a month and a half before I got to school. Um, you know how coaches love that. Well, like, and, I, yeah. and I didn't know that I needed surgery until kind of late. You know, it was yeah. one of those things that we thought being in a cast would work. And we thought that um, rehab would work. And then they finally realized that this bone just wasn't healing and they had to put a screw in. So, um, and so I think going in, I just, I I wanted not to be the worst, you know? And so I really trained really hard and probably by um, Christmas, I was not the worst. You know, I had started to push my way onto some a relays. Um, I was swimming in the butterflies behind two all Americans. Um, One was a Canadian um, Olympic champion and event and eventually won the NCAA and the 200 fly. And then, um, I had another guy who was, um, an all American in the 400 IM 200 fly. And he was a kid I raced all through high school and lost to. So oh, no kidding. one of the reasons I went there, you know, I knew he was going there and I just said, man, if I could train with him every day, if I could, I think that would be the, the best. Now we got to school and he was on another level. Um, so I chased him. Um, but you know, for me, um, starting to make that push, you know, getting on to some A relays, starting to be a guy that could score some points. And then um, we got to conference and, you know, it was a decision for my coach to choose between me and a senior captain to score. Um, and this senior captain had probably outperformed me in the longer races, but I was a better sprinter. And I think that's, I eventually got the nod, you know, and that was a huge thing because, you know, my coach, you know, sits us down, I'm rooming with this guy. Um, he's a senior captain, um, and he, the cook, you know, day before the meet starts, you know, you're the one I'm going with. And he had probably had that conversation with that senior because, you know, the senior, you know, this guy, Kevin Green, who's just an amazing guy, just, you know, put it on me. He said, you know, you better not screw up. You know, you know, this is part of my legacy is being a captain of this team. And if that means leading as opposed to um, actually swimming, you better bust your butt. And I did. I had a great freshman year and <clears throat> got onto the A200 free relay, um, you know, split really fast. I, I scored on my 100 and 200 butterfly. And, um, you know, that's kind of how I started out. Um, my sophomore year was pretty solid. I had small time drops. Um, again, was on A relays. Um, I went sub 20 for the first time in the 50 free on a relay, which was huge. Um, and then, um, junior year was a, a real takeoff year for me. I scored in everything I swam, finaled in the hundred fly and really looked at, to my senior year to be the number one flyer in the conference. Um, so that was really cool. I had, it was a big progression for me. Um, probably had the best summer training, um, I'd ever had. Um, performed pretty well at senior nationals and then um, got to school, had a great fall. And then probably about Halloween, 
um, something was wrong. I, I started not having a lot of energy in the pool, and my coach eventually just hauled me out of a practice. I, I, my pulse rate was all over the place. I <laughs> was dizzy, um, and I had mono. Um, and oh, we actually man. had 12 people on the team with mono. Um, mine was full-blown because I just had gotten used to being tired and all the time, so I just didn't listen to my body. And um, So I was out until January 2nd. And we, we had our, our last meet February 16th. So I had about um, six weeks of training. And um, I just I had such a positive attitude. Like, I had nothing to lose at that point. So I came back to training, and there was this huge weight lifted off of me because there was no more pressure to win conference, right? Yeah. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was hoping just to make the team, um, you know, senior captain, um, and just had the uh, best attitude, like no stress. I mean, normally I'd be behind the blocks jumping up and down at conference and really trying to psych myself up. I literally was sitting down laughing, you know, make cracking jokes and, you know, watching everybody else, you know, flip out and actually ended up having probably one of the best meets in my entire life. Um, one conference in the hundred fly. Nice. Um, I won the console heat of the 50 free. Um, I was on three relays. Um, just missed making the NCAAs um, with our 200 medley relay, which was a little disappointing. But um, overall, you know, with the, the amount of time I was out and how debilitating that was, um, I was pretty happy, you know. And it was always my goal to kind of push that to Olympic trials. And, you know, I, I knew that in the butterfly and the sprint free, we probably had five of the best people in the world in each of those. So, there was no way I was going to make a team. So I had to be really okay with that last meet. Um, and I was, you know, I kind of went out the way I wanted to go out and in front of my parents. My sister was there and my coach, you know, the little guy I picked him up off the ground. And, you know, it, it was just a really special um, way to finish my, my college career. And we were conference champions in that year. I think we were, uh, we ended up this, the year 12th in the nation. So to be part of that, <clears throat> was uh, was pretty important to me. That sounds pretty incredible. I can't imagine the amount of work that went in. And plus, dealing with mono and coming back from that and the uncertainty, that must have been a really uh, emotional time for you after and <clears throat> kind of looking back, you can tell that it's still there. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things that um, I think I was, um, at the time, I was really okay because at that point I'd sacrificed just an insane amount. You know, I'd seen all my friends that didn't do college sports <clears throat> doing semesters abroad and, and traveling and visiting Europe. And I think at that point I had come to grips that this is the end of my career and I really was ready to move on to something else. I wanted to see the world. Yeah. I wanted to get out there and not have to worry about getting up for morning practice or, you know, have more than like Sunday off. So, um, I kind of didn't really deal with it. I just transitioned it to I'm excited about something new. Um, so that you know that was a that was probably the most exciting point of my life, knowing I was I was having some freedom coming up and that I was going to be able to probably have a life that I had sacrificed, you know. Um, and I thought that was important. You know, a lot of my friends going right into full time jobs, and I just said, you know, I'm I'm gonna I think I'm gonna travel the world. I think I'm gonna do odd jobs for a little bit. I think I'm going to take probably a, a path that my parents weren't super pumped about. Um, 
you know, I felt like they probably wanted me to figure some things out. Um, and I did, but, mm. um, yeah. Hey, everybody has their own path. So that's yeah. what you did. You traveled. I did a and, lot of traveling. Tell us about, you know, what you did. Um, well, the, the coolest thing I said, when I, when I kind of, when you lose swimming and you, you don't earn athletics for anybody else, and I've always been good at setting goals, right? I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this. And everything had purpose to get to that from what I was eating to how much rest I was getting. I mean, it was so kind of dialed in and focused. I said, you know, when I finish college, I want to do two things. I want to go to the, Australia and I want to hike the Appalachian Trail. Those were, for whatever reason, because of the way I grew up or maybe something I saw when I was younger, those things always kind of held in my head as something I wanted to do. Um, and it just so happened I graduated in the year 2000. The Olympics were in Australia. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to go to Australia and I'm going to work at the Olympics. So little did I know how difficult it is to get a job at the Olympics. Um, it is so difficult. And I thought, man, I have so many friends and you know, dealing with Speedo and Nike and, you know, probably since I was 16, I'd been sponsored. I'm saying with air quotes, you know, you get some gear and stuff like that. So I was like, maybe I can work it that I'm just a runner for Speedo, but you know, like everybody's thinking that. So, Mm. um, I kind of booked my tickets, showed up three weeks early, went into the volunteer office and it was the last, I mean, I'm not making this up. It was the last day they were taking volunteers. The guy who ran the volunteer force was from Boston And we immediately hit it off. Um, So I did. I got a job volunteering at the Olympics. Um, I got to see some really cool things. I got to watch um, six of my teammates swim, like people that I had swum with growing up. Um, Kid from Maine, Ian Crocker, got to watch him win a gold medal. Um, A teammate of mine, Ed Moses, they were on a relay together. So I got to watch that. Um, Not to mention just a bunch of other sports. It was probably the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, just to be part of the Olympics. I, I really encourage anybody that has a chance to go, just the vibe and, and the excitement. You don't even have to watch the U.S. play. Like, you will be excited to watch two random teams play, um, you know, beach volleyball or men's field hockey or day at track and field. I mean, it is really um, – I can't say enough about it. Um, well, these are the best athletes yeah, in the world. Yeah, and they're just walking around. Like, you, you see them – you know, in the restaurants, like I, I lived in some dodgy places while I was working at the Olympics, you know, you're poor, you're traveling, you're living in hostels or, um, and so, you know, I would see the athletes out, I'd see commentators, you know, I had a drink with, uh, Craig Sager, you know, who was a, you know, a, 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 unfortunately passed away, but he was a ESPN analyst, you know, yeah, and, a really colorful guy. Yeah. And yeah. just super nice. And, and just the vibe, you know, Australia in general is just a phenomenal country, but when they're hosting something, they just, they go all out. And I ended up staying there for another three months and traveling and um, pretty much saw as much as I could of, of the east coast of Australia and had a blast. And then hit Tahiti on the way back. I hit Samoa on the way back. I hit New Zealand. So it was a really big trip. I showed up in L.A. probably two weeks before I should have. Um, I ran out of money when I was in Tahiti. So came home early and... Um, and I made it home before Christmas saying, you know, coming home early got me home before Christmas. So, um, you know, I had to make a phone call to my mom like, hey, can you pick me up in Portland in like eight hours? <laughs> she hadn't heard from me for like two weeks. So, you know, I think oh she was just happy that I was home. 
Um, So then I got home and um, I started working at a gas station nights and I started substituting teaching during the day. So here in May, back in May. Yeah. And, and my next goal was to hike the AT. So um, I started doing that. I I went down to visit in um, some friends in Virginia and decided just to stay there. And so I worked for another two years and that's where I really started coaching. Um, I was bartending at the time and living my best, you know, 20 year old life. And, um, it wore on me, man. Like I just going and pouring drinks every day and, and watching what that did to people. Um, it was fun at first, right? There's the party. And then you start seeing like how, I don't know, it just got me. So I needed something positive. And there's a local club team, um, that I had swum with in the summers and, I said, hey, you, you know, you, you need help. And a friend of mine was coaching with them. And <clears throat> they, uh, they said, yeah, you know, our kind of pre-senior group needs a coach. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and it, they were like seventh and eighth graders and really talented kids. Awful. They were just so mean. <laughs> it was like the worst experience <laughs> to start your coaching career. That's a tough age. It is a tough age. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what, I have never really seen kids be really mean to each other. Um, and that I, I, and at a, for like, I didn't take much crap from people. So I really wrote them hard and I got in a little bit of trouble for being a little too hard. And they just, I, it was a really fun experience, but it was, it, it told me I didn't want to be a coach. I was like, I, if this is what it's like, I can't, these kids are so mean to each other and disrespectful. I was like, I just, I don't, I, it didn't work. Yeah, not a great first experience as no. a coach. But it led me to my first good experience as a coach. And there's a summer league team down there called the Farmington Frogs. And they needed a summer league head coach. And that was right up my alley. It was all ages. And it was, um, you know, a couple days a week. And you you, you go against other um, community teams, and it was just fun. It was excitement. It was like, you know, put on a gorilla suit and go coach practice. I mean, I would do stuff like that. It was really, really fun because it was mostly younger kids. You know, you really – I honed in my kind of energy and um, came up with a, a lot of fun things for those kids to do. And it was just a summer program. It wasn't club or hardcore. It was like kids just doing not, it to have fun. Yeah. Right. Um, and you do these dual meets, and, you know, the parents would sit there and – you know, at the country club and watch and cheer. And, um, you know, you got to, got to do some pretty cool things. And um, I like that. I did that for two summers. And then I had saved up enough money to hike the AT. And so I decided to move home and um, get myself ready to, you know, hike, you know, six months of hiking. And um, that was in 2003. And I, I ended up going down to Georgia in like uh, March of 2003 and, by October, I'd made it back, made it back to Maine. So um, I wasn't home for two days after that trip where I got a phone call from um, the athletic director at Catherine McCauley. Um, and I didn't, I mean, I hadn't seen anybody. I didn't even know anybody knew I was home. <laughs> Somehow I looked out, traveled fast. Yeah, I did. And um, I ended up coaching there for three years. Um, so I coached at Catherine McCauley, all-girls Catholic school. You know, I had hair down past my shoulders, and I was a, probably – I think if you talk to Sister Edward Mary the day I walked into her office to interview, I think she was uh, maybe regretting maybe whoever sent me her way. And I can honestly say that I was probably just as um, apprehensive. I had never talked to a nun before. 
And man, she was the coolest <laughs> nun I've, you know, she's just such a hot ticket. She was awesome. And yeah. um, she gave me free reign and we, I went to it. And I was probably harder on that team than I've been on any team, but it was great. They were such an awesome group of girls. And, you know, I ended up having some state champions in there and, and an All-American. So I was lucky to have some talent. Um, and then that kind of moved into working with the Westbrook Seals with their senior group in the mornings. And then their coach left not six months after I had started there. And I was at a crossroads. I, I, had, I knew that I needed to um, – I didn't want to work four jobs at once anymore. So yeah, there's a lot of that early in coaching. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like the only way you can live. Um, and I had a chance. I had three opportunities. I, at Coldstone Creamery had opened up in Portland, and I had interviewed to, to run that. Um, I thought I had a good interview. I, I th- it didn't really pan out. Um, they wanted me to sing for tips, and I was like, even the managers? <laughs> oh, really? All right, I'm good. Um, and it later went out of business, so I'm kind of glad. Um, I had a chance to go up to Alaska to work um, at, a, at a fishery. And um, I tell you what, that was probably the, the um, thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to go to Alaska, but I had an opportunity to take over my own team. Mm. I said, you know what? Alaska can wait. I, you know, I, I want to see if this works for me. And um, it did. You know, I had I had a lot of fun. I was at the Seals for seven years, and um, then moved to Seacoast Swimming Association down New Hampshire for another seven years. Had a lot of success down there, and that was like a whole new level of um, athlete that I was working with down there. Um, not to say that we didn't have those athletes up in Maine, but for for some reason we just we had kids that were kind of on the national level that were getting recruited by Division ones, Olympic trial level um, caliber swimmers. So. Um, that was a whole different experience because as soon as I was down there and you're on this kind of um, traveling to national meets all over the U.S. So I got to see a lot of the U.S. and I got to rub noses with, rub elbows. I don't know if I was rubbing noses, but I got to rub (laughs) elbows with um, um, a lot of like the top tier coaches and some of the youngest up and coming coaches who are now, you know, some of the most influential coaches. So um, I just kind of immersed myself in it. You know, it's like people would hate to go out with me because um, you get two coaches in, in the same spot and you're going to talk swimming. And people would just, if they weren't swimmers, they would just get, you know, uh, you know, annoyed by it. Like, what are you guys even talking about? And, yeah, it's a different yeah. yeah, different world for people. Yeah, yeah, and that, was, that started like just me soaking up every opportunity I could to be around, um, you know, Olympic-level coaches. And I had teammates of mine that worked um, for the um, – Olympic Training Center, so did some trips out there. Um, I worked with, um, I was the disability chair for um, Maine Swimming for a long time, so I got an opportunity to work with a couple kids with some disabilities and um, at some high levels, so that, that was really fun. Um, mm. I got to do, it was a very broad um, range of, of coaching. Um, I can honestly say I've probably coached every level of swimming that there that there is. Um, from yeah, club, it sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been you know twenty twenty years, and you've done a lot of lessons and things like that yeah. over the years as well. I mean, that started in you know when I was fifteen, yeah. know, doing lessons in the summer and stuff. So, yeah, um, it, it develops a certain kind of patience and maybe a deeper understanding of the physiological aspects, right? And yeah. to, to an extent. Um, and I think um, even even the more I coached, the, the more I wish I knew as an athlete. Right? I knew as an yeah, athlete, and absolutely. Um, 
I wished I had changed my approach to, to training a lot sooner than I did. You know, it's hindsight's twenty twenty, but um, you know, it's it, it does give you a big perspective when you've worked with every single level. Um, you know, it just uh, it broadens your spectrum, and it it makes it when you see a swimmer, you you know, any swimmer that gets in the pool here at St. Joe's, you know, I I can watch a stroke defect, and it's not an, an issue for me to. Oh yeah, I've had. 600 kids that have done the same thing. I have a mm-hmm. whole litany of drills I can get into um, just from my years of experience and seeing almost you know, every stroke defect there there is. So right. So you know to circle back a little bit, um, and I know we're running a little bit short on time here. You have a recruit coming today, and and all that. Uh, but talk about maybe your biggest coaching influence, like an individual. Um. I've had so many, and like I said, I, I, I counted it up one time, and I think at one point in time I was coached by, by six Olympic coaches, and that oh, might wow. be for a, sec, a single session. But still. But still. Um, and I'd say there's, there's probably three, if I can say three. I don't think I can sure. put one over the other because I think they all had really good strengths and different strengths and different weaknesses. And the first one um, was uh, – my college coach, I'll start with him. You know, he was just influential at teaching me how to be a man and be mm. responsible. Um, and he, shot, he showed me that um, you can be kind of a, a hard coach and you can still you get him off pool deck and you get him in the office and you can be a human. And I think that's something I've always tried. I tried to be one way on pool deck, right? This is how practice is going. I expect a lot. But if you have an issue, let's get in the office and let's talk about it. And, you know, I'm going to counsel you and, and help you. Mm. Um, and I think he did a really good job of, of holding us accountable and not necessarily telling us what we wanted to hear, but telling us, you know, what we needed to hear. Um, I think from there, my my prep school coach, um, Pete Williams, um, totally opposite every other coach they ever had. He was quiet, like real quiet. And what that made me do was listen and he was really good at communicating, but he was a man of few words. So I didn't necessarily get that like excitement vibe, but like just everything he said to me was something really, you know, important to my development. And he challenged me. Um, So he was, he was a really good influence because he was a calming influence. Every other coach I had was kind of in your face. And he was the first one that I, that I had that wasn't. And I just, I appreciated it for that time in my life. Um, you know, I think the the, the number three, um, you know, when I was down at Seacoast, I coached at Seacoast Swimming Association, but before that I was a swimmer there. There was a guy named Mike Parado. And he, um, he, Jenny Thompson, you know, one of the most famous female Olympians out there and one of the most accomplished, he was her coach. He was another one. That at the same time, you know, I was I was swimming with him during the summers and Pete during the winters, and he was another one that was quiet, and so I listened. And he was the first one that took me aside and started asking me about, like, what sort of training that I, I really – he started using my feedback. And it was the first mm-hmm. coach that I'd really had come and ask me, like, how's this, you know, how's this making you feel, you know, and would change things for me. Um, cause I think he saw something in me, um, and that confidence from him was really awesome. And at the time I, I came in and I, 
as an athlete, I was, I was loud and I cracked jokes and I, at the time learned how to call people out. Like in the nineties, we trash talked, right. Even in swimming, yeah. right? you, you, it's different now. You don't, people get hurt feelings, but for us, it was just joking. We'd cut on each other. And so I brought that attitude to his team and he really appreciated it because he had a young group of guys and I think it really helped kind of steer them in the right direction. You know, that he had, I was like the, you know, the coach that was swimming in the water. I could kind of rally them together. So um, we respected each other and it was like, not the saying that the other coaches didn't have mutual respect, but he, it was like on a different level. I really just mm. felt comfortable um, and listened to everything he said. It was like one of those coaches that like I was waiting for a gem to come out. Um, I just, you know, every day was something new. Um, and I learned, <laughs> I learned a lot about hard training. You know, all three of those coaches um, were not shy about pushing you to your mental and physical limit. Oh, that's that's uh, that's well said, and you gave three shout outs there, so I'm sure you'll be getting some phone calls. <laughs> uh, so I, I'd be remiss if you know Megan Dunlap has been on the podcast the entire time. She's just been listening over there, and I want to give Megan a chance to ask a question or two. I don't know what she has. Yeah, I've been taking it all in. Um, I know that you have told Corey and I um, something that has come about during these times when it comes to Zoom calls and some cool opportunities that you've had there. So I didn't know if you wanted to quickly share um, kind of, you know, the state where we can't really gather in big groups, how um, how you've done those Zoom calls. Yeah, you know, I think, I don't know why we weren't using this more before. And I think, right? I think it, it, it is, it's, it's funny because um, about 90% of the time, I think that initial call on the Zoom call I like, right? You know, it's, you know, it's, you get to see their face, you get to see their reactions. I'm huge on body language. Mm. You get, um, you can get mom and dad on the phone with, with the, or not on the phone, on the computer, and you can see everybody. Um, with a phone, you don't, you know, you can be on speakerphone, but it, I don't know, it just is tough. You know, the, the 5% of the time, it might just be a little awkward because it's like meeting anybody for the first time. It can be a little awkward. And, um, I find that um, it gives me an opportunity to be a little more human. You know, I think with these recruiting calls or even a letter you send out can seem like, um, I don't know. It can, well, it could be like a form letter. Right. Yeah. It's like for mass consumption. And I think, you know, I love when my kids kind of pop their head in. Usually it breaks the tension a little bit. And, um, you know, I have a six-year-old son and I have a, a one-and-a-half-year-old son. So either one of them, like – you know, my, my six-year-old doesn't have any teeth. So <laughs> right now he's like, <laughs> so he comes in and I'll, you know, put him up in front and it just breaks the ice a little bit. So, yeah. you know, I'm not ashamed to like use my kids to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they love it too. They just, I think they think it's awesome to be on, you know, the zoom calls and stuff. Um, but I do, I think it does, it does, it's not a, um, I think you still need to visit campus. I think that's, you know, what we've found is that we've done a few zoom calls with just, the team and the recruits and that's gone well. Um, but it's not the same as sitting down around a table and, and kind of spending an hour and getting used to people. And, um, so I think it's a good use. I think it will, we'll continue to use that, you know, post COVID, but, um, you know, that's what we're trying to do. Right. Yeah. And I think you've, you've done some, some conferences and things like that too on, yep. on zoom. Yeah. So like new England swimming, Maine swimming, USA swimming, they've been all hosting these, um, 
they call them swimposiums. Um, and they're <laughs> clever. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, they're pretty much just trying to get information out to people about colleges. So, um, usually I'm on a panel of division one, division two, II, division three. Um, sometimes I'm the only swim coach and with you know, some, some other people, um, cause I do have a unique perspective. I can speak kind of on the division one and the division three aspects. Right. Um, so yeah, I love doing that stuff. Um, because you get a lot of questions, um, and I like to hear the other coaches answer those too. You know, I like to hear the different perspectives because that aids me when I'm talking to a swimmer that might be looking um, Division Two or Division One. I, I can kind of give a, a pretty clear answer about um, you know what their focuses are as opposed to our focuses. So um, it gives me a good opportunity just to get my face out there and talk um, to a, a bigger audience and. The last one we did was just for parents. So I got to oh, hear cool. a, a lot of the questions that just the parents really want to know. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them, you know, centered around COVID and, you know, what we're doing. And, you know, you just got to say, hey, you know, it's affecting everybody. You know, I know it might affect your son or daughter's recruiting, but um, they're in the same boat as most everybody in the U.S. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a strange time to be recruiting and participating in sports and all those things, just like everything else in the world. <clears throat> so yeah, Megan, Megan, you have another question. I can tell. <laughs> there you I go. don't know if it's a question, but um, just the fact that like you being on these panels probably wouldn't have been something that would have happened without this going on in the world right now. And I think whether people realize it or not, like you're growing as a coach, but also like like realizing other questions that people have and I think it's really cool how you do have the perspective of D1 and D3 um obviously they're drastically different but kind of coaching people on what direction and what it's expected I just think that um it's a really unique opportunity um that was given during this time and I think that last one with the parents too I think um I don't know sometimes you can get parents that really want to push to have their, their son or daughter to go division one, you know, it's kind mm. of like a status thing. And I think, um, you really got to really figure out if you want it to be the one and only thing in your life. Cause I can speak on it, you know, division one, like that's what you do. You know, you swim and you get good grades. You know, that's, <laughs> you know, it's swim school, you know, and I think division three allows you to be, a, to grow as a person. Like I told you guys, like I, I, sacrificed all these things traveling and studying abroad and and being able to take advantage of like things my my college offered but just couldn't and I think that's the advantage of Vision 3 and it's a place like St. Joe's you know where there's service opportunities there's travel opportunities there's um, things you can do in the off season um, and for the people that want to train that you know there's opportunities there too um, but I think specifically Division 3 enables you to kind of grow a little bit more before you graduate and get kicked out world you know yeah it makes sense now one one more question uh and then i know that we've we've got to run this has been really fun this has been interesting hearing about your experience and <laughs> in, in the division one aspect and, and all of those things uh not that many of us can relate to being a world-class athlete um so that that's very cool uh but you you say you did sacrifice a lot at virginia but I know you also had some fun while you were down there, and I know there's you know there's a lot of stories I'm sure you could tell. But what what are what are a couple maybe two really quick ones uh, that you could share that you know it's just a different world. Obviously, I mean, a lot it's a huge school, um, a lot of high caliber athletes walking yeah. around. 
uh, just talk about your experience that you were able to enjoy at sure. times. Um, well, you know, it was my first time like going to like a real college football game, right? So mm. there's at the time we had a number of really good, um, eventually NFL players. A guy named Aaron Brooks was our quarterback. Tiki Barber was our running back, who was a great running back for the Giants, and I think Aaron Brooks was for the uh, quarterback for the Saints. And yeah, um, so we. It, just going to a college football game was just unbelievable. You know, it's like you, you get in and you feel that um, energy, but then you, you get yourselves like in the spot where like all the athletes are together, right? These, these enormous groupings and you're around just the best in the U S at that time. You know, our soccer team was, had won our uh, lacrosse team had won the NCAAs a couple of times. Our women's um, crew team was um, top. So it was it was really fun to be around those athletes. It was fun to go watch those sporting events. Um, and then I generally was a pretty fun guy. Like, I brought a lot of um, jokes and stuff. Like, I was kind of, I won't say the class clown of the swim team, but I wasn't afraid to, you know, get up there and make a fool out of myself to get everybody hyped, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and my freshman year, <laughs> I'll share this story because it's suitable, but um, my freshman year... Um, we had an assistant coach um, who was um, a 1996 Olympian, um, and he, I don't know, for whatever reason, you know, picking on the freshman or whatever, he's like, you know, made me do some random dance. And, I, of course, I did it. You know, I got up there. I busted a move in front of the whole team, and everybody laughed. And we got down to our conference championship, and at one point, you know, the – the Florida State Seminole comes out and he's leading a cheer and the Maryland Terp in a, in a Terp outfit's out there leading a cheer and the NC State Wolfpack guy's out there. And I just felt like they were all corny. Like, you know, they just, they might've had all the stuff on, but they just had no moves. And so I say this probably a little too loud and my assistant coach says, you go up there and do it. And I was like, but I don't have anything. He's like, you don't need it. So <laughs> shaved, bald head and, no, you know, no shirt on. I just kind of do a running. They're all behind the blocks, and I do. I kind of run behind them and just slide. You know, wet wet pool deck. I did the old risky business slide and do my moves, and you know, get up on the three meter board and jump off. And you know, my team obviously is, you know, going crazy because they know that you know I'm just getting them hyped. You know, it's just and so that led to me doing that like every year. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I did it my senior year. I probably did. But, you know, it was, you know, that was my role as a leader. I was I was definitely the hype man. I like to lead the cheers and I like to um, kind of make a fool out of myself. So <laughs> there are well, many awesome. stories like that. But, you know, that was kind of like the the typical. That's what I would be like at a championship, you know. Nice. Well, like I said, I've really enjoyed talking to you today about all of your uh all, you know, all your stories and your, and your uh, beginnings in swimming and, and where it led. It's, it's always pretty cool to talk about these things. Coaches have to have uh, breaks where things kind of go their way. It's like, well, the coach just left, and I was there at the right, right place at the right time. And that just seems to happen to all of our coaches uh, and probably every coach around, you know, that, at high, high levels. Um, so that, that's pretty cool to hear about those things. Um, but... Uh, as Megan's fidget, fidgeting with the microphone over here. It's okay. <laughs> You're doing fine, Megan. So, Coach, that, that pretty much wraps up our interview here today for the podcast, but is there anything you want to add, anything that you left out, or any advice to 
young coaches, young athletes that may look to be a coach someday? Yeah, I, I think um, number one, you just got to be comfortable making it work to start. You might not get your opportunity um you know, right off the bat, it might not be what you want. And you just got to continue to work at it. Like you might not come out and have a coaching job right there. So you might have to start at middle school or whatever it is. I think my path was a little different because I just kind of took the next thing that came. I think the one thing I regret, and I think I I would advise this to any coach, find a mentor. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Work under someone before you take the leap to being a head coach. I think I got thrust into being a head coach really early, and even though I had people I could lean on, I never kind of learned while doing. I just kind of made a lot of mistakes and mm-hmm. learned from them, you know, which is good, you know. But I think that's what I really struggled with was I would have loved to to coach underneath somebody for a little while and really um, just have that influence and have someone I can talk to. Now, all those coaches I named, I would feel fine calling them up, them up and asking, but I think that – um, that's one thing I'd suggest. Find someone that you really respect, and even if you have to volunteer, um, work underneath them, learn a little bit before you kind of take that big leap. It's funny. Nobody ever called you and said, hey, Jared, you want to be an assistant coach? I, it was always, you I, want I to had, be a head coach? I, it, well, I had one offer to be assistant coach. Coming out of college, I had a chance to be a grad assistant. And, okay. Uh, at that time, I just couldn't You were going to go to Australia. Yes. <laughs> there, yeah. there was no more school in my brain at that point. So. No. Um, but yeah, that, that's the kind of wild thing was I sought, I, I sought out being a coach, but then after that, it was always someone that needed a head coach and mm. I had probably too much confidence in myself or, or enough. And so I just kind of rolled the dice and went with it. Well, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Well, thanks again, coach. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, I look forward to hearing the feedback on this one Yeah. and what, what you hear <laughs> from the people you've talked about. Well, thanks, Jared, for being here today. And thank you to everyone who is listening. This has been season two, episode two of the Origin series on Monk's Take. Tune in next week for season two, episode three of the Origin series. If you'd like to record your own podcast here on campus, visit gomonks.com backslash monkscast. Thanks for listening.